Episode 43, Low-Carb Lifestyle Reversing Metabolic Syndrome. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we're Dr. Peter Foley, MD, Perspective. Join 2017 Podcast Awards-nominated host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, as he gets a rarely seen look into the specialties of all types of doctors and guests, plus marketing, travel tips, struggles, goals, and relationship advice. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this Halloween edition. We got some tricks for you. No, just kidding. Just some treats. But if it was up to Dr. Peter Foley, you probably wouldn't get those treats because he lives a low-carb lifestyle. Now, you also, this is our second time doing this interview. The first one, horrible internet connection. It was just a stuttering and buffering. So we just said, you know what? Let's just redo it. So when we originally recorded it, it was International Podcast Day, September 30th. And now... October 31st, Halloween. We're going to talk about all kinds of good things like the United Kingdoms versus the United States healthcare system, why he chose being a general practitioner and why he is passionate about it, leadership, something called root cause resolution. I think you'll like to hear that a little bit. And he talks about things like macro scale, micro scale when you're talking about goal setting. Like all the, all the show notes can be found at a doctor's perspective slash four three. Travel tips can be at the end. Let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Live from China on this International Podcast Day, we got a great guest today. He's all the way from Ireland and now the UK, and he is a medical doctor specializing in general practice and sports and exercise medicine. Let's give it up for Dr. Peter Foley. Good morning, Justin. Good evening, Justin. Exactly. Good. Where are we? <laughs> well, thanks for having me on, Justin. Well, I appreciate you taking your time and doing this. For those who don't know, this is round two, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. So we're going to do it again, and we're going to pick his brain even more. And he's been so nice to do this again. So hopefully the internet connection will stay strong for us today. There's a lot of things you can do in the world. How did you become, and why did you pick a medical doctor? Well, that's a very good question, Justin. Um, I guess there's many reasons why I chose this career, or why I, I was lucky enough to be able to follow the, this career path. Perhaps the most important for me was for early experiences. Um, and my father and grandfather both practiced as, or my grandfather had practiced as a GP back in Ireland, which is a, a, a family physician. So that had some positive impact on my, on my early memories. Uh, I always wanted to work in a job where I was helping people. And I always had a personal interest in my own health and wellness coupled with a, a fascination for science and how things work. And coupling all that together, I thought that a career in medicine would be able to keep me interested. It would give me a passion to work towards. Uh, and I'm very pleased to be living that passion now, which is a lot of fun and what I'm eternally grateful for. Did you go to medical school in Ireland? No, I had the opportunity to study medicine in England and in the UK. So I left Ireland in 2006, which is when I came over to medical school here. And I did my medical training undergrad, as I guess you'd have in, in, in the States, in the UK, in the Southwest, in the beautiful Southwest of England, places like Exeter, Plymouth and Truro. And I finished my training in 2012. And then I just did my houseman job. So my junior residency years in hospital and that all finished just this year, really, in uh, in August this year, where I passed out with my medical, my general practice degree or my general practice training. So we do two years houseman jobs post medical school, and that's a generic two years across the board where you do your rotations in hospitals. I then specialized in general practice with a three-year course, um, which just finished this August. So it was still a five-year commitment after yeah. medical school yeah. for GP. Yeah. Um, wow. So, okay. Exactly, yeah. So by doing general practice, I'm the first, I'm at the other end as quick as I can do it, really. So my... Wow, that's pretty wild. Some of my friends who are doing other specialties, like, for instance, cardiology or certain surgical specialties will have another five years ahead of them and still be classed <laughs> as a junior doctor, which is unfathomable. But that's the system. That is. That's pretty wild. Now, did it, was there a benefit to going to the UK versus staying in Ireland? Like, is your degree more transferable across the Europe? 
No. For that reason? No. So by being in the in the European Union, um, the medical degree is essentially mirrored. So if I was to, for instance, want to, if I would go to Ireland or anywhere in Europe or Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, the degree is, is transferable across all places and it's 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 of equal weight if you like. Um my general practice degree is from something called the Royal College of General Practitioners, uh, is also transferable a, a transferable degree across. Um and it is again of equal weight to the equivalent in Ireland. But it's been wonderful to come over here. Yeah, it's been great. You can just say, ah, you know what, let's go check out, because I've been in New Zealand, yeah. let me tell you. Good. That place is pretty awesome. Really? It's pretty awesome. Like, if you went there on vacation, you might have to say, all right, what is it going to cost me to get yeah. over here? Well, funny you say that, because years. it's on my it's on my bucket list. It's on my bucket list. The only country I can't go to, or, or I would have to do more exams for, is the state. So I, I, I yeah, we're exams. weird like that. I've set some exams, called USMLEs. Um, so I, I don't have any plans to set those, so... Uh, I don't have any burning desire to move and, and live and work in the States. I may work abroad uh, in the future, but certainly I have no plans to set any more exams at the moment. No, I hear that. My goodness. So you um, you got more special, I guess, you had more special training yeah. in exercise and nutrition and those types yeah. of things. So why did you do that and how does that play into your overall okay. scheme in life? Okay, so when I started my general practice training i had the, op- the opportunity to study for a, a, a an extra degree called sport and exercise medicine and that's through the university of bath which is a beautiful um, ancient hist- ancient city in the uk i'm sure you've heard of bath before sure um and i'm studying for a master's degree in sport and exercise medicine which is a very interesting developing specialty in the medical field, which is where we learn in depth about the human biomechanics, about how to be a pitch side doctor, how to navigate through the law and sport, which can often be quite difficult and quite murky waters. Um, with the evolution of the ever evolution of professionalism in sport, uh, that comes with its, its, its own pros and cons for, for doctors who are involved. So it was navigating that. And then it was through this course I developed a real passion for understanding how lifestyle can positively impact our health. And it was through a module on nutrition and physiology where I really developed a deep passion for the role of nutrition and food in, in our lifestyles. So having studied this course, which gives us a range of preparing us to be pitch side doctors for professional teams to being GPs like myself, promoting health i'm now steering towards the nutrition and health rather than pitch side medicine uh for us pitch side medicine that that means like the the team doctor the guy that's on the sidelines and all that yeah correct so and (laughs) and that can then range from you know the the big shiny lights of the nfl to Mm -hmm. local community games so it it's it's all encompassing um, right. Yeah. I had read an article and it was saying that when you're a basic, you know, your first four years, medical doctors typically get very little musculoskeletal training. You cover it, but to really be like your rotator cuff does this, the hamstrings do this and it connects here and all that. It's like, it's kind of not that great compared to like pathology and what drugs to take and all that. Is that true at all to, in your opinion? I would say um, looking back at my undergraduate training we didn't have very much training on musculoskeletal that's correct i i think those they try to cram a lot of information into those two or three years and i guess because of my interest in sport and exercise it was a natural progression for me to go on to learn it more and i mm-hmm. always I, I already had a, an understanding from my own um, sports and my own athletics and rugby from when i was a teenager so i had a good base understanding of musculoskeletal medicine if you like um and physical therapy but uh, lots of my colleagues would have very little information or knowledge or feel i wouldn't have much confidence talking about the human body in terms of musculoskeletal because they would see that as more of a, a physiotherapist or a chiropractor's role um whereas i i i feel it's very important as a as a gp who's looking at after patients with all ranges of illnesses in the community it's very useful for me and i use my knowledge on a daily basis now with patients trying to promote 
different different issues yeah and that's why i was asking just because a lot of our audience here is chiropractors they're physical therapists they're musculoskeletal focused so i was just yeah. curious because we've heard people they're like how to market to medical doctors better and yeah and i was taking some continuing data and they're like look medical doctors the general practitioners, they generally don't know they have opioids which we know there's an epidemic there yeah oh yeah prescriptions so if you can just in the uk or them, in general well in america for sure really um, there's a huge amount of deaths within two and a half years of people just getting addicted and going down a spiral and the um the governing boards like the big which one was it uh the guidelines now actually encourage pt cairo do something else because if you don't this is going to keep happening and all this it's, it's, it's a really interesting it was an interesting study it was an interesting report just to show yeah. like as a chiropractor, we need to be out there and helping to educate like, hey, this is what you can do. Not every chiropractor is built the same. Not every physical therapist is the same. But hey, you know what? If we talk to them and they yeah. like you and they understand what you're doing, that could bridge a gap in a service that they may not really that may come. I don't want any more headaches. I don't want any more sciatica. Like, that's not what I'm good at. I know what, Justin, <laughs> it's communication. It's communication and it's, it's breaking down those barriers, right? Yeah, I think so. So that, that leads to this question. What is your basic philosophy on, on diet? Like, are you a low carb guy or a stay away from fats kind of guy? Or, you know, especially when you have like diabetes and hypertension type of patients, do you have like a basic question. idea? So anybody who knows me by now uh, from my Facebook page or my Twitter or my Instagram is going to know that my, I have a real passion for the promotion of health and food in general. And that, you do. Lends itself, and, and, and that lends itself to a lower-carb lifestyle. And by lower-carb, I mean, and I, I'm not sure what listeners will think of a low-carb diet, but when people think of low-carb diet, they think of sausage, processed meat, highly fat foods, whereas my low-fat or my low-carb diet is very high in natural carbohydrates in the form of cruciferous vegetables, which were, which are your broccoli, vegetables that are green and leafy, and vegetables which grow above the ground, as a general rule. And then the patients that I have the most success with now follow a lower-carb diet, and their results are, are staggering. Um, to give you some context, one patient lost about 25 kilograms oh. in six months and reversed their pre-diabetes, uh, excuse me, reversed their diabetes blood tests to normal range, which was which was brilliant. And and that's in the the current advice we give patients generally for the last 15 years for weight loss, for instance, has been to eat less and do more, which has been putting the onus to the patient. It's, it's their fault. It's, it's their illness. Whereas what we're learning now is, in fact, that mightn't be the best advice. If And in my opinion, from my personal experience and experience with patients, if we focus on nutrition for 85, 90% of the journey and exercise for 10% for weight loss, that's where most of the success is. Um, what I like to say to patients is if you have three meals a day, that's going to be 84 meals a month. And I say to them, can you have 70 meals good? And they'll say, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll do 70. So just making a, a positive, realistic and achievable lifestyle change, and it seems to be making good Good, uh, good progress so far. So it's brilliant. It's really enjoyable and it's really good fun. And this is what I got into medicine for, you know, to help people and to help them to help themselves. And it's it's just great to realize that. I like that you actually said, why don't can you just cut out fourteen meals like once a week, yeah, twice a week? Exactly. Can you just cut out breakfast or, or else, cut out dinner? Or you can either cut that out, or you can say because there is no there is new evidence to suggest not everyone needs breakfast and, and, and it's on a personal mm -hmm. level. But in terms of saying if you're eating the wrong foods all the time, for instance, your your refined carbohydrates in the form of certain breads, pastas, rice, uh, breakfast cereals, I'm saying don't cut those out all all the time. But instead of having that refined cereal thirty days a month, can you stick it to the yeah. weekends? Can you have it the weekends and say, okay, yeah, that's realistic. Rather than saying don't have that ever again, that's really bad. It's more how is this going to be adjustable and how can we change it to make it fit into your new lifestyle. As soon as you start guilting people into what they're eating and saying you can never have a candy bar or a brownie again, well, good luck. I'm just not Bingo. even going to try anymore. Bingo. And, and you know what? You hit the nail on the head because I'm not a nutritional therapist. I'm not a dietitian. All I am is a doctor. But in, in terms of this field, but once you, what, what I find is once you break down that food guilt pardon, 
you open up patients and they're just so receptive. It's brilliant because their initial reaction is, it's my obesity, it's my diabetes. I'm going to have this forever because I just, this is the way I'm going to be. And when you say to them, this doesn't have to be this way and it's not your fault and we're going to do this together. It's just the power of that for me and the the internal response I get from helping people with, with this holistic approach is just brilliant. It's so addictive. It's energetic. It's brilliant. Yeah. I love it. When I was 77 kilos, obviously I was chunky and my blood pressure stayed yeah. high. It was always, it was always kind of high. And I was just like, man, I exercise. It won't come down. Well, now I'm about 70. Yeah. So, and every time I check it, it just drops and it drops and I'm almost, I'm pretty much in a normal range now. I'm like, oh my goodness, yeah. just that extra weight, just 10 or 15 pounds makes that much difference. And you don't want that to be true. And you know what I also say to patients, Justin, we could be going off piece here, but I say, okay, so let's say your, let's say your body frame is designed to carry 70 kilos. So I'll say, right. That's a, that's like a golf car. So a Volkswagen Golf, you're designed to be a Volkswagen Golf, and you keep ticking the engine along at 2,000 revs. That's you in your in your basic state. By having 77 kilos, that's like you're in a Golf and you're towing a, a, a lorry. Your revs have gone from 2,000 to 4,000 all the time. And if you keep driving your car at 4,000 revs rather than 2,000 revs, you're going to start wearing out body parts. And that's what you're finding with your blood pressure. And I kind of bring it down to the patient and say, this is what's happening with you. This is your weight. This is your, your diabetes level. This is your blood pressure level. This is your liver function level. This is your back pain. If you imagine then you take off that lorry, you lose the weight. Your car goes back to 2,000 revs, and the car is then running the way it was designed to from the factory. So we're going to restore your factory settings. And once you bring it down to this level, patients say, okay, yeah, let's do this. Because your frame let's say for instance for you we'll say if if your waist is a 30 or 32 inch waist if you then have a 34 36 inch waist your body frame your pelvis your musculoskeletal frame is still going to be a 30 a 30 inch waist you're going to have extra fat there so let's yeah. get you back to the way you were designed from let's get you back to factory settings dude you know both that's like my waist size that's what the waist went up to hey, that's what i do now i'm back hey, to that that's size what I do. <laughs> I know a lot of people that couldn't do that. That's really good. You could probably make a, a fortune at a uh, carnival. Let <laughs> me guess your weight. That's a very dangerous game with, with, with ladies, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's a good one. <laughs> when it, This is a kind of a wide open question, so I'll let you pick how you want. Okay. What are some of the most common misconceptions about your profession? That's a good question, Justin. Being a family physician or a GP, people often think that it's uh, it's an easy route. It's a job where you finish your training early. There's a misconception that it's not very intellectually stimulating. It's office hours, it's boring, and it's all protocol driven. So that was what I think the most of the general public would feel that I, I, I think. It's notoriously very difficult to get an appointment to see a GP, and there are very many reasons for that. And there is a growing misconception that people choose general practice for, for lifestyle reasons. Hmm. And I would turn that on its head. Um, although, yes, the training is short, it's very, very challenging because you're, you, you're dipping in and you're required to have a bit of knowledge on cardiovascular, a bit of knowledge on the spine, a bit of knowledge on mental health, a bit of knowledge on everything. So you have to be a jack of all trades. And I had it described to me before where being a general practitioner is having a knowledge base, which is an inch thick, and a mile wide. Whereas if you're a specialist, yeah. your knowledge base is an inch wide and a mile thick. So you know everything in that specialty, but you mightn't be able to say anything about another specialty. So it's down to personality choice. If, if you like to be a, a somebody who knows a bit about everything, then it's for you. I see it as an enormous privilege to be a general practitioner because I'm not sure what it's like in the States, but over here in the UK, we do things called home visits where we would visit patients at home particularly the elderly the um, and those who are palliative or those who are at the end of their lives. And that's a huge privilege to be able to be invited to people's homes to see how they live. And that can often impact on our management plans for those patients. For instance, we can have two patients with the same problem, but manage them very differently based on their home situation, their home environment. So I really enjoyed the social aspect of being a general practitioner. There's limited time with patients as well. So in the UK, we have between 10 to 15 minutes with patients. So in that time, we're expected to build a rapport, find their history, rule out any 
what's called red flags or life-threatening symptoms, examine the patient, mm -hmm. arrange investigations, and then arrange a follow-up. So that can be very challenging, whereas our, wow. our, our, our specialist colleagues may have 20 minutes, half an hour, sometimes even longer. And then in general practice, there's a lot of, really? of grey areas. So we have to be comfortable living in that uncertainty where you come with me with a headache and 99 times out of 100, it could be just a headache. But there's that 1% chance mm -hmm. it could be something very serious. It could be an infection. It could be a cancer. It could be something, you know, really worrying. And you have to be very comfortable with your own routine, your own process. So you identify the most likely cause, identify the most worrying cause, try to work out which it's going to be, um, and be, be comfortable letting patients leave your, your clinic room in the knowledge that it could be something quite serious, but you've got to go to the, go to the phases of finding out what's, what's most common. And also, it's a great opportunity to expand a portfolio career, and that's something that I'm enjoying at, at, at present. So I really enjoy my career as a family medicine doctor or the GP, but I'm also enjoying expanding it in other avenues, which is really fun. Does it ever bother, and I don't know how it is in the UK, but I sometimes think the GP's job is much more difficult because you are an inch thick and a mile wide yeah. and expect us to not miss important things. Yeah. And then you don't get paid as well as the derm, as the cardiologist who's performing the surgeries and, quote, life's, you know, they're saving lives because they'll die if they don't get their stint put in correctly. But um, does that ever bother you at all that you're not compensated as well as some of these more specialists? Or is it a mute point because there's not much you can do about it? Important. I think if, mm -hmm. if you really want to have a career where you're earning silly, crazy money, a, a career in medicine probably isn't for you. And that's certainly what's like in, in, in the UK. And you go to London, you do your banking, you do your city job, your finances. But are there times when I feel like it would be nice to get paid more? Sure. However, when I, every day when I'm faced with patients who are in their 70s, 80s, 90s, the ones who are often happiest are the ones who often have the least money. And I think that there's often a, an overemphasis on money and wealth. And it's made me really re-establish what wealth really is. And I think we can over-prioritize money. Um, we're living in a, in a consumerism world now where it's all about the latest gadget, the next up-to-date, for instance, uh, up-to-date iPhone, up-to-date computers, up-to-date cars. Whereas we're losing touch yeah. with the reality of we're social people and it's about having that community around you, be that family or community. And uh, Yes, it would be nice to be paid more, but if money was my real focus, I probably wouldn't have chosen a career in medicine in the first place. Correct. I was just curious your thoughts because that could open up a lot of a lot of avenues for an interview based on how people think about it. But I mean, I think you nailed it. It's it's not always about dollars and cents. You've there's all those other aspects in life that you get to experience. Well, you know, Justin, it's like this. If so, I'm 30 years old. I've got another 30, 35 years ahead of me doing this job. Yeah. So that's a, that's a lot of early morning waking. That, that's a lot of early morning starts. I'd much prefer to be getting up for a job that I enjoy than a job that I don't enjoy. And that's the way I look at it. I, I, I look at the long game, um, break it down simply. And, Nailed it. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's about the journey, not the destination for me. And like you said, you're going to have a lot of other opportunities. You've got. We'll talk about it later, but you do Gaelic football. Correct. I think you're a pro, aren't you? No, no, no. But we can talk about that in a, in, in a wee while. Okay, okay. But let's go back to this. When you're talking about people maybe in college or doctors who are in their uh, first three years and they're starting to try to just figure out what to do, maybe they're struggling getting out, like, how do I study this much and gather all this information and, and remember it all? Any, any practical steps to help them and to encourage them? Yeah, young kids, yeah. maybe college, college kids. kids. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Is look at the long-term goal, be patient in achieving there, but working out what you need to do on a daily basis to get there. So, and also what I like, the, I like the phrase, I'm not sure if you've heard this before, Justin, but have you ever been asked the question, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. One bite right? at a time, exactly. One bite at a time. So, you know, for me as, as a 15, 16 year old, I thought, well, I want, I want a certain lifestyle. I want to live a certain way. That's going to require a certain income. So the options are going to be mm -hmm. A, B, C, D, or E. Well, okay. Can't do those two. Not sure about that one. So, so medicine's going to be. So, there's no doubt I've chosen the hardest route. Yeah. And I've chosen the route probably with uh, 
you know, the most obstacles that was maybe maybe move home. But I had the strategy, I had the the resilience, and I had the focus to continue with that. And for me, because I I took the time as an early stage to identify what was important to me, I feel very happy now that I've ticked a box in the last couple of months by achieving that training, by finishing training, and now I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the next challenge. So the answer, to answer your question, what advice I give to kids, college kids, it will be to dream big and focus, be resilient. You're going to get knocked, but keep going. Be patient on the macro scale, but work like a dog on the micro scale. Find out what it is you need to do. And also what I like about Gary Vaynerchuk is he talks about backward planning. So find out where you want to be, what's your end goal, and then break it down, break it down, break it down, break it down, break it down. For instance, I want to get into medical school. What do I need to get to medical school? I need to get, get my exams. Okay, fine. Bring it down. So, so how am I doing on biology? I'm getting a B in biology. I've got to get up to an A in biology. Breaking things down simply to make it more realistic, to eat the elephant one bite at a time. That's a perfect answer. More people need to hear that. <laughs> I mean, people just think it happens. No, it doesn't uh, just happen. It takes no, no way. So, um, and the backwards planning is great. I always do that. I'll tell you something. When I said in school I wanted to be a doctor, they laughed at me because I wasn't. Come on, I wasn't that kind of person. I was playing a lot of sports. I I might have the best focus as a fourteen year old, um, but I was quite resilient. I dreamed. I dreamt big, and um, yeah, I, I I had great people supporting me, my family, uh, my parents especially, and. It has been great to, to use that positive energy to keep me going, and uh, and it's been great. That's awesome. Do you happen to have any staff, or do you have any? I know the way the system in the UK works. You're kind of it's kind of like a hospital setting. You're probably not really in charge of hiring and firing people, but you have a big role, I'm guessing, in motivating and managing your staff. Correct. Is that accurate? Any hints or ways to make your staff the best that they can be for what you need? So, so you're right. In, in my current role, well, in my most consistent role at the present, it's, it's as a family medicine doctor. And I'm, I'm on the salary, I'm, I'm on the payroll there, but I don't have any managerial responsibility. Having said that, I'm in a, in a position of, 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 of leadership because I'm a doctor in the practice. And there are times when I'm the only doctor on site. So often staff will look up to me for, for advice or for, for some leadership. So although I don't have any official roles in hiring and firing of staff, I feel like I've got a huge role to play within the staff, within the, the staffing structure for communicating with other staff. I think most importantly, when you have a corporation or a business where you've got big pay scales, it's very important to have mutual respect. It doesn't matter where you are on that pay scale. If, if you're at the bottom, if you're at the top, I think if you have mutual, mutual respect, communication and positivity, that's what's going to bring people forward. And I like the, the phrase of, leadership creates good followership and sometimes you've got to be a good follower but equally sometimes you have to be a good leader um, and I think by having an open and honest team that creates the best working environment and that's when you get the best out of people so there are times when I will in my future I expect to be be in a more managerial role but I feel that by having communication skills and by by being in an environment now where I'm learning from effective communicators and effective leaders, I can build my own brand, build my own approach to my own leadership when I'm at a point in my career when I am hiring staff and, and being more involved with management. But I think it's all down to communication, respect, and being approachable. What would you say is maybe the number one polluter of a good work environment? Oh, the number one polluter of a good work environment. You can argue this, but I think one of the most important people on a staff group, a staff family, is going to be people like HR because they're almost mm -hmm. the soul of the corporation. They're the people who, who remember, hey, Justin, it, it's your birthday. Happy birthday, man. Or, hey, Justin, I see you're on holidays last month. How was it? How are the kids? Making people feel like they're part of the family. Once you break that off and you have, if you firstly don't communicate with people, if you then have an unhappy member of staff, if you have a rumor mill, by closing down communication lines, by having a closed door policy where you haven't got approachability or honesty, you can then start breeding these negative influences, which can result in some festering, some uh, some rotting from the bottom. Uh, and that necessarily 
that can come from the top of the bottom. But I think there's a great film called We Are Marshall. Is it We Are Marshall? Um, I think it's either We Are Marshall, yeah, or else it's the movie with uh, Denzel Washington, who is the, yes, it is We Are Marshall. There's a great scene when they're in Gettysburg, they're doing this 5 a.m. run in the dark, and it's about team team building. There's a, there was this altercation between one of the black guys and one of the white guys. And mm-hmm. he said, with all due respect, performance reflects leadership. And I really like that quote because I like top-down organizations where you've got the leaders at the top of the chain, at the top of the pyramid, having the best work ethic, having leading by the best example. That's how I feel we can avoid having negativity within our own corporations or businesses. What about your future? What kind of five-year goals do you have planned for yourself? And what gets you excited? Okay, so in my current role, I've got three current jobs at the moment, I guess. Two paid, one unpaid. Oh, man. So three paid and one unpaid. Sorry, two paid, one unpaid. So my first job, uh, 60% of my current time clinically is in family medicine, so working as a GP. I then spent 20% of my time working as an emergency medicine doctor. So in the in the um, in casualty in A and E, um, like ER, that great program in, in America. The other 20% is unpaid, and that's uh, in lifestyle medicine. So it's 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 a new brand of medicine where I'm incorporating my general practice knowledge, my sports medicine knowledge, and I'm using that to um, at present to develop a resource for patients. There's a lot of confusion out there with nutrition and health. and uh, I'm a member of several groups now where we're trying to promote health in a, in a safe, responsible way as, as practicing clinicians. Most of my time, having said both those, job, uh, both those jobs and my other interests, I'm also doing an MSc, so a master's. I'm doing my master's research in sport medicine. So that's going to be focusing on ways in which we can improve patients with pre-diabetes, which is the precursor to diabetes. And from from my anecdotal evidence so far, the patients who have a lower carb diet seem to be doing much better than patients on a standard uh, Western diet of low fat. So I'm doing a master's uh, original research, a randomized controlled trial of arm A having standard advice and RMB having a low-carb advice, and going to do a head-to-head over a 12- to 16-week period in the new year, uh, looking at which is better, and which is more sustainable, and which has best results. So then, so that's going to be the next six months, next year. And the next five years is going to be developing this interest of mine in what's, I guess you call it metabolic medicine. So your cholesterol, your fats, your your pre-diabetes. And I feel that this is going to be a huge area for growth in the next 15 to 20 years. I mean, you look around Bristol, where I, where I work now, and you're looking at 60% obesity in adults. You know, in children, it's it's, it's Everybody's fat. I mean, everybody's fat. And it's not because they're lazy all the time. It's mostly down <laughs> to the food they're eating or the food they're not eating. And that's my real passion. So the next five years for me is going to be to continue working as a GP, to develop my own approach to health and lifestyle. And I always stress to my patients, I'm not a weight management doctor. I'm a lifestyle doctor. And if if, if you do lose weight, that's brilliant. But that's not my primary focus. It's more like it's going to happen that, from a secondary standpoint. Exactly. Exactly. As a, if, if you do what we do, if, if we set some short-term goals, if we set some long-term goals, if we do a SWOT analysis and try and tease out those threats to your change, we're going to do great. And I, I, I've, got about, I've got about 80 patients so far on a list I keep, and nobody yet has failed to lose weight. So I want to develop this brand. I want to develop this approach because this is what makes me tick. This is what gets me up in the morning at 6 in the morning. This is what gets me through those days when clinics are a bit sluggish. You know, this is my real passion. So the next five years is going to be building my knowledge base building my brand and in the next 10 years who knows i may end up doing a phd uh, i may continue my message but this is really uh, an exciting field for me i feel like i've opened pandora's box and uh, and once it's been opened it's hard to put it all back in and i don't want to put it back in it's 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 it's, it's no, really great i just i can't imagine your study not showing the low carb lifestyle is just going to 
obliterate well, we'll see. the high fa- higher fat. We'll see. I have to be very careful with bias because I know what my own opinion is. But you know, yeah. the scientific method is it's very important to 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 approach it with with neutrality uh, and uh, uh, yeah. uh, and to respect that approach. But hopefully, um, hopefully it'll show what what my hypothesis is, which is that. A, a lower carb diet is going to be the way forward. And it's hard. Like when I go back to America, it's going to be real easy to grab fast food, real easy to eat processed yeah. food. It's, it's convenient. All the, you go to the store, all the bread, all the candy, all the cookies and all the good stuff that you want to eat. My goodness, it's no wonder your body's constantly inflamed. They're always giving it way more than you actually need. It's no wonder when you just eat clean. You just feel better. Well, yeah, you just, it's and all the other stuff. Exactly. I'm, I, I'm, what I see with a lot of my metabolic patients is it, it can take four to six weeks to have that process. Once you go through that, yeah, that cleansing, boom, it happens, and it happened to myself. It, it happened to me, and and you know, the results. You just feel like yourself again. You've got energy. You've got mental clarity, and and you begin to shed the pounds. Yeah, it's great. I mean, you, you don't you don't heal from a sprained ankle in a in a week. Well, look, it, it takes time to rebuild. It's like I mean, you, technically, it's a year. It's like you and back pain, right? Don't know what yeah. you want. You, you've got to go. And this is what I really like. There's a, a very interesting guy called James Maskell over in the States or, or um, Dr. Chatterjee here in the UK. These lifestyle medicine, functional medicine approach looks at what's called root cause resolution. So go back to root cause. It's like your back pain. The, the, the problem isn't your back. The problem could be your your pelvic tilt, or it could be your your weak hamstrings. It's it's your weak posterior chain, which is then resulting in back pain. So if we focus on building your bump or your hamstrings, that's going to re-alter your pelvis, it's going to offset your back. That's the whole process. So it's the same process that I use in in my lifestyle medicine advice. Absolutely. Other than just having a time constraint, I mean, we can just go on and on about this. I just don't <laughs> want to uh, have everybody else bored out of their mind. But this is the stuff that I'm passionate about. This is the stuff that I... You know, I just finished writing a second draft of my book. Wow. This is all the stuff that I talked about. Good. So, I mean, yeah, exactly. Okay. So, you work in a hospital-affiliated situation, but are you able to take the amount of vacation that is allowed it to you? And if you don't, how is there? How are you able to take more? Because in the States, a lot of people get, say, four weeks off. They only take two. That's the craziest uh, thing to me. They don't even take all their vacation. Oh, no, no. So, so one of my personal critiques of myself is that I don't, I don't t- make enough holidays. Now, uh, we're very good at the UK of working hard, but taking our holidays. So I take my allocated holiday, but I mightn't necessarily do anything with it. So I won't physically go to work, but I possibly don't make use of the fact that I'm living in Europe, where I can just get a two-hour flight and end up in Paris, or a four-hour <laughs> flight, I'm in Rome. So and because my family, my parents are in Ireland, I do spend a reasonable amount of my annual leave, my holiday time in Ireland seeing them. But I I want to get better at exploring Europe more because it's on my doorstep. Um, yeah. So, yes, I get my holiday. I um, I have I have a tendency to not look after myself uh, in terms of possibly biting off more than I can chew. So I'm really working on setting aside time for holidays because I often keep working and I often need to be told to take holidays. So um, I have to get better at that believe it or not. I think people would be shocked because I think the dream is to live in England or live in France and you can just go travel here and just see all these amazing places like we would in America. Like, let's just go to Boston and Chicago yeah. and all this kind of well, stuff. Having said that, I, this year I have been to Chamonix in France. I've been to Budapest and I've been to Dublin, obviously, to see family. And I'm off to Rome in two weeks. Um, so yes, great. I mean, I, I, I'm very lucky. I'd like to do some more big traveling. So you mentioned New Zealand. It's on my it's on my list of things to do. Um, I haven't done very much traveling uh, in in terms of traditional backpacking. I've only done six weeks, and I'm 30, so I've got to really up up my game there. I want to do you know uh, New Zealand, do a proper trip in the states, maybe drive across the states, go to the Rockies, go to Yosemite. That, that's really up, that, that's high on my list. Uh, I lived in the Rockies for six years. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's worth it. Maybe China, hit up China. Yeah, um, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, I get my holidays. Yes, it's it's very important for my holidays. But not only that, it's more it's 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 more important for me now to actually use them as a vacation. You know, my but I do like the phrase. Uh, sorry to cut across, Justin. I do like the phrase. Um, find a career that you don't need a vacation from. Uh, yes, I, I I feel like I've 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 found that. So I don't necessarily feel like 
I need to get away from work. It's more I got to recharge to, to to go back again. Um, so I I feel very lucky having made the decision as a 16, 15, 16 year old to do medicine that it was the right thing for me to do because I still love the job. It's I'm, I'm passionate about it, and I I don't need to vacate my life. It's more just to recharge and reset. Then you did a good job. That's the way I think it should be too. Yeah, I'm looking. You know, you know, my parents had a choice. It was like we can go home and sit around at the house, or why don't we all just go somewhere? So we all went to Australia. Wow. Like, yeah, let's go. I mean, nice. Why not? Just saying, you know, I want to spend time with you guys, but because I remember when I was in Colorado, it's kind of like your situation. You only have so much time off. You kind of want to see your folks, but at the same time, you're like, I really don't want to have to spend all my vacation there when there's other places to go visit. And so yeah. that's when I came up with this grand idea. Just make them come too. And we all go somewhere else and, and enjoy the time. Hey, good. And uh, you know what, Justin, I bet you've got great family memories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, awesome. what, what preoccupies your mind? You got any kids, hobbies or volunteering or I think we mentioned um, a Irish football football, which is a, which which is a great sport. I'd strongly advise your listeners to look up Gaelic football and hurling H-U-R-L-I-N-G two very, very Ooh. fun and uh, pretty rough Irish games, Gaelic games. But having moved to the UK, I now play a lot of rugby. Uh, which is equally tough, equally hard, um, but it's really good for me to have a have a sport. I'm I'm very very passionate about sport, just and I'm very passionate about what sport can do for the individual. And my real passion, sport wise, is in team sports. I really like sitting down with some guys, identifying some goals for the season, and working towards those, and getting that mm-hmm. combined approach. So that that real team, and I think that's why I like working in general practice because you're often in a team environment there, and there's obviously enormous benefits of sport, be it uh, physical health, mental health. Uh, it's just great. So I play rugby here in Bristol, part of a successful team. It's eighth amateur. Um, there was a time when I was playing in a more pro-am environment, um, but my career has, has, has always been number one for me. I focus at the moment, if I'm not working, on training, Eating properly and playing rugby, which is which which is great. I'm not a position. I'm not at the position in my life yet where I've got children, and, and neither am I married. Uh, so a, a lot of socialising with friends, um, and I really like the there's a four pillar approach from a doctor here in the UK called Dr Chatterjee. I've mentioned before, and he talks about the four pillars of good health: eat well, move well, relax well, and sleep well. So I try and focus on that on a daily basis. Boom. Keep it simple. So i got to eat well. Movement's important for me. So even if it's a half an hour walk on a busy day or going to the gym to work my flexibility. So I'll keep my time. I, I keep busy. Um, I don't really have much volunteering experience. And hopefully when I settle down with my master's research, I'll have a bit more time to, to explore other avenues to, to fill my time. I'd like more time to read. I'm sure most people are the same. Um, but at the moment, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I, I read more with my uh, ears these days. Yeah, you say yeah. So I've got an hour commute yeah. every day. So uh, so that's where I use my podcasting, and that's where I'm developing my learning, and I'm 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 broadening my horizons with TED talks and and um, and my Gary Vaynerchuk, my daily my daily yeah update. Get some V every day. Get some V every day. Hey, so you're a pretty buff guy. But are you a compared to the other rugby players? Are you the typical size for a rugby no, player, or are they taller, bigger, I'm fatter? Small. So, so, so rugby is an interesting game where it accommodates for all body shape, all shapes and sizes. Hmm. So my natural ability is in speed and agility. So I'm what's called a winger. So I'm, I'm, um, I guess it's like a wide receiver in NFL, right? So, so my my attributes are possibly, probably my pace. You can fly down the field real I'm, quick I'm and quick, yeah. so, hit you the ball. Yeah, so uh, I got to national level sprinting as an underage in Ireland. So uh, my my speed was probably my number one attribute, really. Um, wow. But I'm coming in at 5 foot 10 and 80 kilos. So I'm probably one of the smaller guys on the pitch. Um, at 30, I'm, it's, it's more important for me to maintain my flexibility Rather than to put on more weight, because hey, if you have if you haven't You're got flexibility, regret that one day. exactly, exactly. As I'm sure you know, every day with your practice, you know, if if you haven't got flexibility, if you're not looking after your back, that's the key for me. Yep, get some symmetry going on. Get some symmetry going on, exactly. Get that posterior chain built up. Now you said you're not married, but do you happen to have any advice for us on love <laughs> and feeling oh, wow. connected with a significant wow. other? Well, you know what, I was thinking about this question. 
And I think besides your accent, that's <laughs> that just makes the lady swoon. We know that. But besides that, you know what, Justin? Uh, I know I'm not married, so you know I'm not in any position to give life advice for marriage. Um, what I will say is, when you know, as a GP, it's great to meet people from different backgrounds and different uh, different ages. And very often, you see people coming in in their 80s or even their 90s, and they're married for 60 years. And I'm not sure we're going to see that in my lifetime anymore, people who are married for that long. And mm -hmm. I think, well, I always ask them, I say, guys, can I ask you, you know, because I'm pretty, I guess I'm pretty relaxed with my patients because I really like being relaxed with them. That, that relaxes them. And I say, what is it that makes you guys tick? You know, you're, you're married 60 years. How do you, does it work? And to a man, they've all said, you know, communicate in their own way. They've said communication. When I look at my own socializing and my own personal life, I guess communication is king and identification of self-awareness. So what's important to me, what my priorities are uh, personally, professionally, and identifying potential conflict down the line uh, and, and trying to, to nip those in the bud, again, by communication, uh, being flexible and finding out what matters. There's a great book and movie over here. I'm sure you've seen it before called About a Boy. Have you seen it About a Boy movie? Uh, I have not. It's a good, it's it's a very good movie with Hugh Grant. And he's living a bachelor life and he divides his, his, his time, his days into units of time. And um, I guess for me, it's important to identify what the priority is for me. And, and if you're in a relationship, it's about, you know, is it worth spending all your time working? So then when you get home, you're, you're, you're tired, you're hungry, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're, you're going, you're striving for unattainable goals as a couple. Or actually, mm -hmm. do you want to sit down and say, oh, okay, in, in three months time, we're going to have a vacation, we're going to work hard for that, we're going to have a good time. Uh, and, and having, I guess, having those chats and having those identifications of what's important to you as a couple and, and to you personally, because there, there's no point in being in a relationship where you're not happy because it's just going to make you miserable. Uh, yeah. And it's nice to, I guess, be true to yourself and, and, and see what works for you personally. And then finding somebody where you have the same goals or you're going to be flexible with, with, with each other and having somebody with you to support you is amazing. And what I always talk about is uh, I always like to think about life in terms of relationships as being in a foxhole. And you've only got room for one other person in that foxhole. And there are times when you've got their back and they've got your back and sometimes you need some support, sometimes they need support and it's finding out somebody who, you know, who's going to be in there with you for the long haul. And I think relationships now are much different than they were 30, 40 years ago to my, my elderly patients coming in. There's a, a hunger for instant gratification, be it on, with, with, with social media and people often turn to social media for that affection now. I'll put a picture mm -hmm. I'll put a picture up now, going to get me 100 likes, I feel loved. But if I put, if I put, put a photo up, it gets 10 likes, I'm hated, no one loves me. And that's a really unusual concept. And I think we're, I'm finding that with, with my own friends and with patients who I'm looking after who are teens or early 20s, they're kind of missing the boat. and They're missing that personal connection. I love being in the, in, in the company of somebody, turning my phone off and being in the moment. It's just made, it's, it's great. So I guess for me, it's communication, being in the moment and, and, you know, being open and honest together. I saw some graph the other day and it was talking about exactly what you're saying. The, you're validated by your likes that day. And they it's were not, saying the rate of teenage suicide has drastically increased ever since like the iPhone came out. Because right. they're always on their phone and they have all this stuff. Now, I don't know how scientific it was, yeah. but if suicide rates going up, that's not a good thing. Yeah, yeah. No, yep. it is actually. I'm excited. I'll get to America and I won't have a phone for like a day or two. You know, yeah. it'll be nice to just be like, oh, sorry. If I don't have Wi-Fi, you can't get a hold yeah, of me. Good. It's just yeah, too yeah, bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, last couple of questions. Do you ever have a morning or a lunch routine that gets you grounded for the rest of the day? My lunch routine probably is different on a daily basis, depending on if I'm in clinic, if I'm researching, if I'm if, if I'm in hospital. But my morning routine, without fail, is um, getting my air press going, getting my nice coffee grinded. Uh, I I ground my coffee, put it in the air press, let it sit, and that 15 minutes in the morning, where at the moment in the UK here it's coming into late autumn, early winter, and it's dark. But get my coffee, sit down. 
I like to keep my phone on airplane mode when I wake up for at least the first half hour. So I'm not going to be bothered or interrupted. I just sit down, sit in the moment, get my diary out. I've got a big A4 diary just to find out what's happening for the day. And I really like that. People talk about mindfulness, meditating. That's something that I'll probably look into in the future. But for now, it's having that 15 minutes of silence, of mental clarity, planning the day. And for me, on the days that I don't reach that, I find that I'm constantly chasing my tail. Even if it's not a busy day, I just don't feel like I'm getting ahead of myself. Whereas that's, for me, is a good day, getting down, getting my head, starting the day right, cup of black coffee, brilliant. Agreed. Hey, I love AeroPress. That's what I use every morning. Uh, what's your recipe? Just standard. Just depends. So... um I like to either have a nice Italian or a Colombian roast, uh, get a grand down. I'll put in two tablespoons, get my okay. – uh, I don't put my water boiling hot. I have it probably, I guess, 75, 80 degrees Celsius. Um, let it sit for two, three, four minutes, uh, and that's it. Just the way nature intended it. The way nature intended it. Okay. I, I don't do my bulletproof coffees. I don't, I don't put milk in anymore. I like to keep it nice. Uh, so just, just very basic. Okay. I went on a rabbit hole one time on YouTube videos of like AeroPress champion recipes. Really? I was like, man, I'm not, I am not going on my phone. 35 seconds, 45 seconds. Okay. Oh, as in like, oh, as in how long it takes to brew? Yeah. Like they're super serious. Like their temperature is the right amount, the exact amount of grams of coffee. It has to sit 10 circles with your spoon. Wow. Then you have to press it for X amount of time. I'm learning. Oh yeah. All the champions. No, no. So I just, I get get two tablespoons, get it in, let it sit. When it looks mm. like it's getting quite, um, I want to say creamy, but when it looks as if you've got that nice froth on top, give it a couple yeah, of stirs. Yeah, uh, bit of froth on top, and um, yeah. I tell you, if I don't it. get the froth, I know the coffee's not going to be that great that day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's like all right, extra milk today. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you mean. Uh, so I guess I keep it quite simple. Very nice. All right, last two questions, and whatever you want to do. Favorite book, blog podcast, phone app. It could be business or pleasure, something that you secretly love and something that you know that everybody should definitely check out. Okay. So I've mentioned before this morning several times, or this evening for you and your listeners, um, that's Gary Vaynerchuk. So he does a podcast called the Gary V Audio Experience. And for those who don't know Gary Vaynerchuk, I guess the best way to say he's a, he's an entrepreneur. And he's very, very enthusiastic and passionate about developing marketing strategy and developing personal awareness. He got involved early in Uber, Facebook, Snapchat, and he saw potential there. He got into the dot-com of the 90s with the family uh, family wines business. He created something called the, the online wine library. And most days going to work on my commute, I'll, I'll bring up the Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, the, the Gary V audio experience for different lessons in in business in entrepreneurship in in strategy marketing so i i i learn lots from him from his approach and he keeps things very simple so that's very very useful he, he talks about the three rules in life so no matter what you do if you keep your family close identify your passion and work your face off you're going to do just fine he brings it he, he brings down, down the basics so that's for me that's part of my daily routine now get my gary v input I think he charges, what, $20,000 for an hour, hour and a half right? speech? Yeah. So if you're curious, like, oh, I don't know about this guy, you have Check to be somebody important. Check him. Check this guy out. I, yeah. I'll put it this way. I hadn't heard about him uh, until June, July this year. So what's that? 12 weeks ago. Um, oh, you're almost late to the game. Oh, very late to the game. Uh, <laughs> and wow. I mean, all I can say is, wow, I've got, I've listened to two of his audiobooks. Um, this guy is very, very impressive. Like he's, he, he has guys like Tony Robbins on his show. He has all these guys on very, he's n- not threatening, very supportive. And it's very interesting. You can have a beer with the guy. You can have a beer with the guy, but equally he'll also call you out. Yeah. It's, it's like having that friend who'll call you out. And we all need those friends. So yeah, that's, that would be number one for me. Possibly the, the two most interesting books for me. One is something called Tuesdays with Murray, which is by a chap called Mitch Album, which is a book about this guy, Mitch Album, graduated from university, and, always ha- and he had that lecturer who he, who he was particularly fond of him. Found out he was he was dying of a, a a neurodegenerative condition, so he used to visit him every Tuesday, 
until he died. And each Tuesday was a different life lesson. So it was love, it was finances, it was education, it was success. And the book is about each of those Tuesdays and those life lessons. Very, very, very good book for me. Perhaps the most important book that I've read in the last couple of years has been Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm-hmm. She is just wow. I mean, I got that book. I was gifted that book by one of my sisters, and my eyes just opened. I think, wow, this is really, really cool. And it, it's it's an old book, right? It was it, it was written what in the twenties, thirties, and mm-hmm. the messages still ring true today. Uh, so that's a really good book. Things like how to how to communicate with people, not necessarily to influence them, not to deceive them, but just literally how to make people feel important. For instance, using their name. It's yeah. simple. A very, very good book. It's a very interesting book. My favorite app at the moment has got to be Instagram. I find it's very useful for networking, for socializing, for sharing, uh, and for connecting with people. So I I use my Instagram a lot to promote my own message around health and lifestyle. I'm enjoying And Dr. Peter has interesting stuff on his Instagram. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm enjoying it. kitty cats and stuff. Isn't that how we met? Yeah. I, the, yeah, that's how we met. Yeah, I've met a lot of guests through Instagram. So that's how we connect. Yeah. Dr. Peter's doing it right. I'm on there a lot. I feel it's important for me to use my, I don't want to say my skill, but my knowledge and, and my experience to promote health in a safe way. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, pro- I'm promoting a healthy lifestyle, not through supplementation, through gym work, through, through buff selfies in a mirror. I'm promoting it through, okay, this is what healthy food looks like. This is what my low-carb diet looks like. So I'm using it. I'm on a bit of a mission to promote this lifestyle, this way of eating, which hopefully banishes a lot of misconceptions about the low-carb movement. And I think that's the biggest thing is people get nervous. If I don't get carbs, I'm not supposed to eat. Yeah. How am I going to – I can't so, eat fat. I can't eat butter. You're like, yeah. yeah. So I'm, um, I'm currently blogging for the world's largest low-carb website called dietdoctor.com. And they really? Had a, nice. They get 200,000 visits on a daily basis. Uh, and my most recent blog was how I manage to play rugby living on a low-carb uh, a, a low carb diet. So if you guys YouTube dietdoctor.com and Dr. Peter Foley, you'll find my profile and, and, the current, and some blogs that I've written. So, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying my own, personal learn, uh, my own personal learning journey and um, – yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun, and, I, and I'm enjoying sharing that. I, I'm enjoying sharing that. That's gonna be good because that is a lot of what a lot of people have a comment about. They, they don't understand that you can do that, so that's cool. Yeah. I will yeah. look forward to reading that for myself. Yeah. Well, how else can people get in touch with you? Um, okay, so a uh, couple of ways people can get in touch with me. Um, I've got a website, uh, drpeterfoley.com. Nice and simple. Uh, I've got my Instagram, which is probably the easiest way to get in touch with me, which is at Dr. as in Dr. Peter J. Foley. Uh, I've got Twitter, Peter Foley underscore seven. Um, that's probably the, the easiest ones to get to. Or also, or also Facebook, Dr. Peter Foley. And everything will be show noted as well. So all Thanks. these books and everything, you'll click, click, and you got it. Well, I, I, I am done. I have no more questions. Do you have anything else that you want to end the podcast with or... And no, well, just all I can say is it's, it's, it's been great to connect with you. And it just shows you the power of social media. When it's used properly, it's an amazing beast, right? We, we're harnessing this to connect. We've obviously got similar passions, similar interests. Uh, and it's great to meet somebody the other side of the world to connect, to have a chat. And, um, yeah, just to spread good karma. It's brilliant. And I, I really hope your listeners enjoy the podcast. And, yeah, I look forward to hearing this Go live. And uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Sounds great, man. I appreciate your time and uh, keep connected. And enjoy your trip back to the States. Dr. Peter, great job. I think we both approach health in a very similar way. Really resonate with everything that you said. I hope everyone else will check out his article. It's in the show notes. I think he's going to be an up and coming rising star. God bless you in your journey with your sports and exercise medicine, with the research projects, with low-carb versus Western diet, I think we know what the answer is going to be. You rocked it. I appreciate it. Show notes can be found at doctorsperspective.net slash 43. Travel tip coming up next. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast, A Doctor's Perspective. Thank you for writing reviews on wherever you listen to it, ranking us five stars, hopefully. Listen, you all know I got a book out. I've been working on a version 2.0. Right now, if you buy it, send me an email with the receipt and I can send you five bonus chapters. It'll just be this long PDF, but we're going to have some nerve stretches, creating and executing a budget, ways to cut expenses, optimal calorie consumption calculator fit directly for you, and some ideas about fasting. So if you want some of these bonus chapters before they're released in version 2.0, just send me that receipt via email and I'll get them over to you. As always, we got some t-shirt designs for the logo, uh, for chiropractic. There's also a buy host a cup of coffee, upgraded that. It's on the main webpage. And lastly, stay tuned. A secret project will be coming out. Definitely go to a doctorsperspective.net top right. There are all the social media icons. Pick which one you love to follow most. Friend me, like me, say hello. I'll definitely respond back. Travel tip this week. Hey, if you're going to be traveling in a different city, a different country, in honor of Halloween, check out some new desserts. Go to a bakery and try something. Especially if you're in a foreign country, you might see things that don't look that mm, appealing to you because you're not used to it. Maybe it won't be as sweet. Maybe it'll be savory. Um, You never know. So sample some things. Try out different breakeries when you travel. We just went hashtag behind the curtain. And this episode has come to an end. I hope you got the right dose for your optimal life. Please spread the word about this podcast by telling two friends, sharing on social media, and visit the show notes on a doctorsperspective.net to see all the references from today's guest. A sincere thank you in advance. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.